You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that my child may live. David has a tender heart even now for his people. He wanted to see him, he wanted the people to see that he didn't have a heart hardened toward God. That his heart was not hardened for God because the child died. It wasn't hardened because God had chastened him because of his sin. He washes himself and he changes his clothes and he goes to the temple to worship. Despite his failings, David demonstrated a humble, penitent heart. He tried to hide his sin at first, but then was reminded the hard way that God sees everything. As Pastor Dave will point out in today's message, instead of turning from God, David turned his heart towards him even as he dealt with the consequences of his sin. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 12. As he continues his message, chastening and restoration of David begins. Bathsheba delivers a son, but the son becomes ill. The son that David must remember that Nathan said would die. But David still pleads for the child's life. Look at verse 16a. David therefore pleaded with God for the child. David pleads for God. Despite Nathan's prophecy about the child, David continued to fast and pray, asking God to heal the child. Finished his verse. And David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. So David now is prostrating himself on the ground. He's praying. He's fasting that God would heal the triumph. Now, notice one thing. David already heard from the Lord. The Lord said the child would die. And as David's praying and as David's fasting, at no time does the Lord interrupt him. The Lord didn't stop him from interceding for the child even after all the sins that David committed. He accepted his prayer. Why? This was therapy for David. This was therapy for David. One of the best things you can do when things go wrong or do what? Go to the Lord. Here David is, you might call him one of the greatest of sinners, although Paul would argue, and I'll argue with both of them. But here they are. David's fasting and praying, knowing that God's going to take the child. But all the time he's fasting and praying, he's drawing closer and closer and closer to God. He's drawing closer to God through his prayers. This is great therapy. The Lord was David to come back to him through his prayer and fasting. It didn't hurt David to spend time with God. It blessed him. And after all, because of David's sin, many think that they had been separated the entire nine months that Bathsheba was pregnant. David had a lot of catching up to do. But sadly, the baby only lived a week. Let's read 17. Oh, excuse me, seven, the elders, let's read 17 and um, half of 18. So the elders of the house rose and went to him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. David's not going to do this. All he wants to do is fast and pray for the child. Then on the seventh day, 
it came to pass that the child died. Baby dies in seven days. What did this mean for David? What did this mean for David? Can anybody tell me what this meant for David? Seventh day. What happens on the eighth day? In Jewish law, what happened on the eighth day? Circumcision. They were not able to circumcise their child. What happens during circumcision? He was given a name. David was not able to circumcise the child, nor was he able to give him a name. This was huge in Jewish law. It was huge. It must have broken David's heart. But he knew it was coming. He knew it was coming. The servants are afraid to tell him. They're whispering. They're afraid to tell David about the child's death. They don't know what he's going to do. But David overhears them. Let's read verse eight, the rest of verse 18. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him, and he would not heed our voice. How could we tell him that the child is dead? He, he may do some harm. They didn't know what David was going to do. They didn't know what he was going to do. David fasted and prayed for seven days and seven nights. He spent each day in prayer. Each day he came to the Lord and requested that the child would live, but the baby still died. Why? Because it was not God's will that the baby lived. It was not God's will that the baby would live. God wouldn't have it. This shows that a couple things. It shows that extraordinary prayer and fasting doesn't change God's mind. Doesn't change God's mind. God's will is God's will. It put David in the right place, though, to receive what he needed to receive from God. But it did not force God to change his plan. It did not force God to change his plan. Extraordinary prayer and fasting are not tools that we use to get whatever we want. Because what we really want is God's will. That's what we want the most. Instead, fasting and prayer are demonstrations of radical submission and surrender to God. I don't know about you, but I enjoy a good meal now and then. Yeah. And so fasting for me would be a radical change. It would be a real radical change. But you have to discipline your body and fast and pray. One time my wife and I were told that we were going to go on a fast. And we were told that we weren't going to go on a food fast. We had to choose something that we could give up for a week. And on the times that we normally did those things, we were going to study God's word. We chose to give up TV for an entire week. So we basically turned it off, unplugged it, and let it sit there. And all night long, instead of watching TV like we usually did, we prayed, we read the Word. My goodness, what a great time that was. What an incredible time it was. That can happen if you're fasting, if you're giving up food, if you're fasting. If you're fasting for food, it can happen. But don't do it thinking you're going to get something from God. You might get an answer from God. Many people fast and pray to get answers from God. Allow God to speak to them during their time. Because what is fasting and prayer? It's a time to get close to God. It's a time when you get close to God. Now, we haven't come to any scriptures where we need to talk about fasting yet. We will, and we'll cover it at that time. But it's a time to get close to God. Let me warn you, though. Don't go on a fast just to say you're going to go on a fast. And if you go on a fast, you're not supposed to tell anybody that you're on a fast. It's not a, well, I'm on a fast, so I can't do that. That's not the way you fast. If you go on a fast, you do it 
privately and quietly. You don't tell everybody. Let's look at verses 20 and 22. What did David do after he found out that the child was dead? So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, changed his clothes, and went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and when he requested, they set food before him, and he ate. Then his servant said to him, What is this you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. And he said, While the child was alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that my child may live? David has a tender heart, even now, for his people. He wanted to see him, he wanted the people to see that he didn't have a heart hardened toward God. That his heart was not hardened for God because the child died. It wasn't hardened because God had chastened him because of his sin. He washes himself and he changes his clothes and he goes to the temple to worship. I love that. This is to symbolize a new beginning. He washed and put on clothes. It's symbolizing the new beginning. We're told to put on Christ, the new beginning. We're told to put on the new man, the new beginning. Here, David washes and clothes and changes his clothes. Could this be why in verse 103.9 he says, He, God, will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. God, David knew that God wouldn't be angry at him forever. God had already told him that he forgave him of his sin, already told him that he wouldn't die, but he told him the consequences, and this was the first consequence. This was the chastening. The child died. David understood that. He knew that. But because of God's amazing grace and his infinite mercy, we always can have a new beginning. Every one of us can have a new beginning. When do you get a new beginning? Every single morning. Every single morning you get a new beginning. Every single morning you should wake up and praise God for the new beginning that he has given you. If there's any unconfessed sin, you need to confess your sin and move forward in God's love. Every single day is a new beginning for us. David, extraordinary prayer. His extraordinary fasting was not in vain. No, they were answered. What do you mean they were answered? The child died. No, he was restored to God. His prayer and fasting had him restored to his relationship with God, which had been broken by sin. If you sin, your relationship to God is broken. You don't get separated, but you get broken. God might not hear your prayers if you're living in sin. He might turn a deaf ear. But David was extensive prayer, extensive fasting, and he gets a sense of peace that the child has died. Okay, God, it's your will. Wow. David could truthfully say, well, I did all I could to change God's mind, but obviously God had a better plan, and the child died. By seeking God, David did not change the outcome but when he sought God, he drew closer to God. You see the difference here? You know, we pray for a lot of things. And we've seen some miraculous things done here. But sometimes when we pray, things don't turn out the way that we think they should just because we prayed. Remember, God is sovereign. God is sovereign God, and he does things as he wills. And something happens when we praise, something happens when we praise the Lord 
in the midst of a trial. Have you ever tried to praise the Lord in the midst of a trial? In the midst of a, I mean, I'm talking about a, a really tough trial. Have you ever tried to praise the Lord during that time? I have. I've tried to praise the Lord in those times. And I found myself sitting before the Lord, praising Him with all my heart, with all my might, with tears streaming down my face. But yet I know that my Redeemer lives, and I know that we'll see Him one day. And that gave me all the hope I could ever need, all the hope I could ever want as I drew close to Him. It was a dark time of my life, the darkest time I've ever had. Something happens when you praise the Lord in great time of trials. Something happens when you praise the Lord even in times of chastisement. Something happens. The ability to worship and honor God in the time of a trial or a crisis is a wonderful demonstration of spiritual confidence. When people see you going through a miserable trial, going through a miserable time, and they see you praising the Lord with all your might, knowing that it's not fake, it's not phony, but heartfelt spiritual praise, something happens. They see a demonstration of, wow, they see a demonstration, and you give glory to God. What happens when you praise him in the midst of an ongoing trial? What happens when you praise him in the midst of the darkest night you've ever had? What happens when you praise him in the midst of a time that you don't even think you're going to live through it? I can tell you one thing that happened. God shows up. God comes to you. Scripture says he inhabits the praises of his people. God comes to you, and he comforts you, and he encourages you. Nothing can restore your joy like worship and prayer. Nothing can give you peace and comfort like worship and prayer. In verse 23, the writer says, But now he, David speaking, but now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. What glorious words. What glorious words. There's so much in that one verse. There's such a glorious thing. For those people who have lost little children, here's a glimpse that they're going to go to heaven. Now, many people disagree with that. I've had big arguments with people that don't believe that. Well, here's the scripture says, I can't go to, he can't come to me, but I can go to him. How can you argue with that? Here's a glimpse of someone losing a small child, knowing that he's in heaven, and knowing that someday he's going to see him again. He's going to have fellowship with them. What a beautiful scripture this is. What a gorgeous scripture. Plus, it gives us a hope of seeing others that have gone on before us. Others that have passed on, I know I'm going to see Alice again. I know we're going to see those people. I know I'm going to see Frank and Tim. I know I'm going to see my son again. I know this because the Bible says so. We see this glorious hope. It gives us great hope. And David goes strengthened by that. What a beautiful passage. David says, but now the child is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back? No, but I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. I love that. What hope we have in a Savior. What hope. My gosh. If this doesn't give us hope, I don't know what does. He's showing confidence in life after death. He's showing confidence that the child was with the Lord, that the child was saved, that he would go be with his child, even though his child wasn't be able to turn to him. I'm going to go, but he can't come back. This gives great credence to the age of accountability. It gives great credence to that age of accountability when everybody will help be held responsible when they reach that accountability. We don't really know what that age is, but if you go by Jewish, Jewish factors, you would go by the age that they are bar mitzvahed. 
I think it's 12 or 13. The girls is bat mitzvah, right? They are around the same time. So that appears to be the age of accountability. I don't know for sure. But I do know what this scripture says, and it gives me great hope. It's comforting us, because if the Lord tarries, we're all going to have to go through the valley of the shadow of death. We're all going to have to go through if the Lord tarries. But this definitely confirms that David believed that he would see his son again. David believed in the resurrection. David believed in the resurrection. David longed for the day, as he wrote in Psalm 23, to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David longed for that day. So I guess the question has to be asked, why would a loving and just God not answer a grieving and repentant father's prayer? I mean, after all, it was not the baby's fault. It wasn't the baby's fault that the mother and father sinned. For that matter, why did God allow Uriah and some fellow soldiers to die in the battle of Reba? Just so David could marry Bathsheba. You know, you keep asking these questions, and you keep asking these questions, and sooner or later you're going to come to the ultimate question, why does a loving God permit evil? David will write, being led by the Holy Spirit in Psalm 23, verse 6, when you look back at this painful experience, says, God's goodness and mercy for both him and his baby. But Abraham poised the question in Genesis 18.25, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? The wicked priest Eli in 1 Samuel 3, when he heard the bad news that his family was going to be judged, confessed, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems to be good. There are no easy answers to these questions. So what do we do? Well, I'll tell you what we do. This is my counsel. And you've heard it before. When we are faced with things that we don't understand, we lean back on the things that we do understand. When we're faced with those questions that we can't answer, that God has in his word, we lean back on what we do know. Throughout the Bible, there are promises after promises after promises to heal our hearts. There are plenty of promises for comfort and peace, plenty of promises of encouragement, plenty of promises that are going to be with us during tough times. I know that the Lord loves us, and he gave his life for us. I know that the Lord is sovereign. He's merciful and just. His love always abounding us. I also know that God has not asked me to understand him. He's asked me to believe in him. Am I to question him? Am I to hold him accountable? Others may, but I choose not to. One thing we know is that during that whole week, David spent fasting and praying, but it was not in vain. This showed his great faith in God, but it also showed his love for Bathsheba and her son. I'm a nothing more than a sinner saved by the amazing grace of God, and it's a gift to me, and God owes me no explanations. He really doesn't owe me any explanations. The Lord blesses David once more, and the restoration process continues. For 24 through 25, then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife. He went into her, which means they had sexual relations, and lay with her, and she bore him a son, and he called his name Solomon. Now the Lord loved him, and he sent word by the hand of Nathan the prophet, so he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. God is so merciful. God is so wonderful. He gives to David a son, an heir to the throne, Solomon. I love this. I love this. Before, she was just Uriah, Uriah's wife, and now she's Bathsheba. He says her by name. She's Bathsheba. 
And it's like Bathsheba now has a new beginning herself. The Lord has given her a new beginning. The evidence of God's grace can be found in Matthew, the first chapter, first chapter, verse 6, when Bathsheba is labeled in the heritage and lineage of Jesus Christ. What a blessing. The son born Solomon, and the Lord loved him. So the Lord gave him a name, Jedediah. Solomon means peaceable, but Jedediah means loved by the Lord. Man, that's the name I want. What a great name, loved by the Lord. Solomon would go on to build the temple. He would build the temple. Solomon would be a great man. He would be one of the wisest men ever to walk the face of the earth. Solomon would end his days in trouble too. Solomon would get into a heap of trouble. Let's finish out the chapter. Remember that battle where they put Uriah? Remember they had siege to the city of Reba? Way back in chapter 10, we talked about it. Well, finally, David does go out and leads the army to victory. David does become victorious over the Ammonites. Let's read and finish the chapter. Now Joab fought against Reba and the people of Ammon, and took the royal city. And Joab sent messengers to David and said, I have fought against Reba, and have taken the city's water supply. Now therefore, gather the rest of the people together, and encamp against the city, and take it, lest I take the city, and be called after my name. So David gathered all the people together, and went to Reba, fought against it, and took it. Then he took the king's crown on his head. It was a, weighed a talent of gold with precious stones, and it was set on David's head. So he brought out the spoil of the city in great abundance, and he brought out the people who were in it and put them to work with saws and irons, picks and iron axes, and made them cross over to the brick them cross over to the brickworks. So he did all to the cities of the people of Ammon. Then David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. David gets the victory. David goes out and gets the victory. He becomes victorious. And he puts this great big crown on his head. Imagine when he put it on, he went like this. Must have weighed. It must have weighed a great amount. Even through chastening, David gets restored. Even though the chastening is not finished, it's going to continue now. But David is restored to the Lord. He becomes the victor. Joab, a great general. What a great general Joab is. Joab didn't take the city so he could claim it and he could become the city of Joab. He told David, get your tail out of here and take the city so it can be by your name and not my name. That's a great general. That's a great general. Even though he did some dastardly deeds at the beginning, he becomes, he's right now, he's a pretty cool guy. Letting David go into the city and claim the victory because he was the king. Joab knew his place at this time. Well, we got through chapter 12. Interesting chapter. There's some hard chapters coming, and we're going to read through those. Chapter 13 next week is a very, very long chapter. So read ahead. See so what the Lord would show you about Ammon and Tamar, about Absalom murdering his brother, and all the shenanigans that go on now from now on with David, as we continue with David's chastening and restoration by God. You are the book of 2 Samuel is a continuation of David's journey to the throne promised him years before. It follows his life and relationship with God, with his family, and with the people entrusted to his leadership. David has much to teach you, and we encourage you to continue studying this Old Testament book. If you missed any part of today's teaching on Assure Hope, or if you'd like to listen to additional teachings from Pastor Dave, visit AssureHopeRadio.com today. 
Maybe today, as you were listening, you found you have some questions about faith and maybe even about salvation. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions and start you on a journey that will change your life for the better. Give us a call. Our number is 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. And while you're on our website, visit the page How to Be Saved to read all about the plan of salvation God set up long ago. We'd love to meet you too. If you're in the area, join us this weekend at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. You can find directions and more information at assurehoperadio.com. We'd love to connect with you on Facebook too. Just follow the link on our page to follow us. We're coming to an end of our time with you today. We're so glad you took the time to study God's Word today with Pastor Dave, and we hope you'll join us next time as we explore deeper into the book of 2 Samuel, right here on Assure Hope.